Greetings and welcome to Michigan VC Talk. I'm Ara Tapuzian, your host and executive director of the Michigan Venture Capital Association. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to have Katie Hall join us. Katie is the founder and CEO of Clara Technologies, a pioneering workforce optimization platform tailored for industrial enterprises. With a decade-long commitment to assisting organizations in navigating the transformative influence of AI on the workforce, Katie's diverse background in business, public policy, and government enriches our discussion with invaluable insights. Join me now as I talk to Katie Hall. Katie, thank you for coming on Michigan VC Talk today. I've really been looking forward to having this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Let's first start by telling our listeners a little bit about Katie Hall. Tell me about yourself. Sure, sure. So I'm uh, talking to you today from West Michigan, born and raised, uh, grew up in Holland, did tulip time, family still in <laughs> Holland, now reside in Grand Rapids, went to school in Ann Arbor. Um, so Michigander through and through. Um, spent most of my career in the public sector. So ever since I was little, I've been trying to attack things that are broken. <laughs> everything right. can be done better. Everything can be reexamined. Um, so spent several years in federal government uh, in Michigan and Washington, D.C., and then a few years in state government, and maybe most importantly, 10 years at a workforce development nonprofit headquartered here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but working globally on all these issues that we're all talking about now in the labor market. So that was the work that kind of led me to start Clara. Right. And we're going to get to that a little bit. Let's let's back up, though. You, you had told me uh, offline that you were sort of an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> Can you describe that a bit? Because you you. Your family has, uh, you you come from an entrepreneurial family, am I correct? That's true. Yep, that's yeah. true. Uh, Talk about that. Yeah, I I do call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I, you know, my- Isn't everybody though? <laughs> I think no. to a certain degree, probably. I know it. And who are these serial entrepreneur, magical beasts that we hear about? I don't yes, know. <laughs> yes, exactly. I agree with you. Yeah, it's great because I sort of landed on entrepreneurship as a way to- attack a problem most right. effectively, right? Entrepreneurship as a vehicle for making change. Um, I, my great-grandfather, uh, grandpa were salesmen. Uh, mm -hmm. so they, you know, they were in charge of their own salaries and commission. They were traveling salesmen, drove all over the Midwest and the South. Um, and my dad was a lawyer, sole practitioner. So he ran, you know, his own law firm for several years. So I, I do have, have several entrepreneurs in my family. Um, and, you know, I felt sort of like an entrepreneur ever since I was younger. I feel a bit like a renegade. I don't like following rules just because they're rules. Uh, I, you know, I don't like someone telling me what to do. So I've always kind right. of felt like a renegade in that way. Um, the, I fell into Clara and being an entrepreneur because I care a lot about making an impact, right? Yeah. I want I want to use whatever learning and gifts that I have to try to attack problems and make the world a better place. I've cared about that my entire life. And there were several moments in my career where I felt like I was doing work that was really important with really smart people attacking really entrenched, difficult problems, but we just weren't making enough progress. Right. You know, I fell into entrepreneurship because 
I'm a firm believer, and we can all look around and see examples of this, right? Of technology being the thing that finally changes behavior. And yeah. so that's why that's sort of how I fell into venture-backed technology startup as a way to solve a really big stick sticky problem. And so with a career in the public sector, and I did a little bit of that myself. Um, so I, I have a bit of a background and and understand the the challenges that that creates. When you talk technology and when you talk public sector, they don't they don't match all that well normally. Uh, you normally hear that technology is ten years behind when it comes to public sector for whatever reason. I mean, did did you find that? I mean, what what were some of the those issues? You know, we're quickly leading up into um, you know why Clara, right? But this is because Clara is sort of a a solution for something that you saw within that public sector. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what you learned in the public sector. That was, where was that gap and, and to, to apply that to the private sector? That That's a huge, really important question, right? I think, I think one of the most important parts of the answer is the incentive structures, right? Okay. So in, you know, I work with, awesome people in the federal government and in nonprofit. And there are smart people trying to change the world everywhere, for sure. But you're right that sometimes public entities are behind on innovation or the adoption of technology, upgrading systems, that sort of thing. And that's partly because of budgets and budget authority. It's partly because of systems. Yeah have to be followed, right? That takes longer to get approval to try a new technology or to get a budget for something new. So that slows down the pace of change and the pace of innovation. And so I certainly found that in some of my time with various public sector entities, it just takes longer because of the systems at place. I guess this is what people call bureaucracy, right? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and also there in my work, you know, I spent a lot of time sort of at the intersection of public and private which is where I'm happy, uh, happiest applying business business training and business best practices to really complicated public sector problems. So I'm happy where they come together. Um, but in my work, you know, there's education has certain incentives, right, that drive the way that they do things. Uh, the healthcare system, same thing. The workforce system, same thing. Employers are driven by you know, profits, shareholders, business yeah. efficiency, um, all their board goals, right, for diversity and everything else. So there were so many different sets of incentives that you can only reach a certain point before you're all just kind of butting your heads against the wall. Maybe you get 60% there. Right. Uh, so that's one of the really difficult things about public sector work, I think. Um, yeah. And it felt like I could only get so far before I hit a wall. So now let's talk about Clara, it's because there's a, there's obviously a, a, a major connection between what you just said and and what you developed. So this is your first, it's a venture-backed uh, company. T- tell us about Clara. Yeah, so Clara is a venture-backed workforce optimization company. Okay. Um, it's where software as a service, uh, machine learning powered. So we have our own machine learning engines that we built several years ago. The goal is let's just build software that can really easily uncover uh, people's strengths and weaknesses within a business. So it's okay. workforce management for companies. The premise being job descriptions, resumes, you know, pieces of paper. A lot of people don't have a resume. Maybe they never got a degree, never wrote a resume. 
JDs and resumes don't match each other. It's a really difficult data set. And to be honest, JDs and resumes are just sort of a guess, right? They're an approximation right. of what a person's value is going to be at work. So competencies, which is what Clara runs on, are just things you can do at work. That's it. Manage a team of engineers, speak Spanish, listen with empathy. If we're able to sell software that just uses that data set yeah. to uncover invisible talents and let companies optimize their people, I think that, you know, slowly becomes the new system. The reason why I chose to make it a venture-backed for-profit company is because businesses are the ones who tell the market, this is how we quantify human labor's value, right? right. If the market, if employers use job descriptions, that's what everybody else is going to do. We're going to educate to job descriptions, or there are going to be businesses that help you write good job descriptions. If all of a sudden employers say, we like competencies better, the market will rotate around them, hmm. right? So I had to go to the source, which is companies. They're the ones who decide how we hire and manage humans. So would this soft software, Katie, be for both um, pr prior to a company hiring and and also for existing companies to look at their their labor force and maybe reassess? So is it is it a bit of both? Yeah, the starting point we chose was your current people. Yeah. So companies have, you know, it's a really tough labor market. It has been for years, right? You mentioned the pandemic earlier. Yeah. If we can give them a really clear understanding of their current workforce, right? then they'll use competencies to move people around internally, put teams together, decide how they're going to train and upskill people, and then also extend that use case to hiring. It was just easier for us to start with internal current workforce to answer that question first, uh, then expand into hiring. So we can support a company's hiring by illuminating all the internal workforce data. So can you give me more like a deeper dive example of how this would then be used for an existing? So let's say I've, I've uh, brought on Clara. Mm -hmm. How would, give me the devil of the details because I find it very interesting um, and, and certainly you're using AI, you're using, uh, all the tools that are available to us. And we know HR is not easy in, in general, regardless of what size organization you are. So give me, give me some down and dirty Katie on how that, how would I utilize the software? Yeah, for sure. So we're, uh, just about to release a new version of the software, which is very exciting. The way that it works and the way that a couple of our current customers are using it is they came to us and said, you know, I know my people have a bunch of skills that I have no idea about, and I right. want to uncover those so that I can create opportunities for them, run more efficiently as a business, cut costs. So Clara is an intelligent assistant, right? right. She understands your workforce and you can talk to her day to day and ask her a bunch of questions. So that's the way the main workflow works right now. So it's called Clara Discover. That's sort of the centerpiece of the software. And you can say to her, for example, this gets this question gets asked every day by our customers. Who do I have that knows how to do welding? Or okay. who's good at operating a CNC machine? Who knows Excel? So you can just type that into Clara and she'll immediately respond and say, these seven employees have that competency. In this percentage match order, they work in these departments. Do you want to talk to them? Okay. It's a, it's a chat interface. She answers questions. Once they learn those things, they might say, I have a new project coming in where I need these competencies. 
which people? And she'll uncover the people for you that could match that project. We also have HR directors who ask her, do I have anyone internally who could be a project manager? And Clara will say yes or no. If she says no, you might need to hire for that. Um, and they also use her to build job descriptions now. What competencies would I need to hire a project manager in Atlanta? She'll give you the 12 competencies of other project managers or gaps. So That's great. That it's is, cool. How does it start, though? I mean, how do you know? So if if you're trying to figure out if I'm a welder or not, how do you yeah. know the information that you're finding? Yeah, that's right. Where does Clara get her brains? Where from? does Clara get her brains? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. The data <laughs> question. So... We, when we built Clara, we started by creating a competency library to okay. train her on what competencies look like, which competencies go with which jobs, are there differences between industries, geographies, that sort of thing. So Clara in her head already has 15,000 competencies. So these cross all industries. We're heavier in the industries where we focus right now, of course, because the users add some right. also. So that was step one. Step two is you sign up for Clara. And then she can integrate with anything you've got. ATS system, HRIS, Workday is obviously super common. So we can integrate with Workday, Greenhouse, whatever your ATS is. That's important because that's where job descriptions live. So we, she can ingest job description data and make sure that her memory of 15,000 is tuned to that specific company. So she'll understand immediately after being integrated how many project managers you have, how heavy are you on finance? Do you have a lot of technology positions? That's step two. Step three is that she talks to your employees and asks them questions about themselves. Okay. So she'll say, hey, what types of work environments make you happy? Uh, what jobs have you had in the past? And it's not direct assessment. There are a lot of issues with direct assessment, right? Anybody can say they're good at Python, for example. Right. So she'll ask you questions that allow her to create your competency profile. You're not selecting what you're good at. You're just telling her about yourself. And that's the gold mine, right? That's what makes me most excited because that's the invisible stuff that comes from the fact that people were in the army and they drove an Uber and took care of grandma. Right now, that stuff doesn't live digitally anywhere. Right. So that's the third leg of the stool. And then every time someone runs a query, she gets smarter. That's, that's I find that utterly fascinating. How's it been received? I mean, I, I wonder, does some of that, you know, asking those questions like, Hey, did, were you in the military? Did, did you drive a car? Did you take care of your parents or whatever type of thing? Do employees, are they, do they, are, do they shy away from that? Yeah. Good question. Good question. Uh, so not really. One of the changes we've made is that in the earlier days, the last you know, the earlier days of the company, we, it was a questionnaire that employees would fill out all in one shot. So right. it would take 10 minutes. We'd ask those questions I mentioned. And then at the end, there'd be a competency profile. And that was great. A lot of the companies we work with are industrial. Um, a lot of that talent doesn't have a degree, doesn't have a resume. And so they reacted really positively because it was the first time anyone had ever asked what they were sure. going to and it was the first time they'd ever seen everything they can do in one place. Now it's even sort of less threatening because this conversation you're having with Clara is just part of your workflow. You don't have to do it all at once. She just asks you things occasionally and builds your profile without you even really knowing it's happening. Um, so the employees seem to love it. Right. There's not a threat. They don't view it as a, as a threat. Right. Right. That's, and we've that's been very careful. Yeah, we've been careful about it, right? We didn't 
in the early days, we didn't link it to performance management. Yeah. Just a set of data that gives your employer a clearer picture of, of what you can do. That should be a win with everybody. But we had to be careful about how we built it so that it would. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So let's, we talked offline, Katie, about sort of a DE&I component. Yeah. Um, I got to imagine that that's not an easy component, diversity, equity, inclusion for for the software. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Well, I think it's easy. Okay. Telling the story is complicated. Um, and I love that you ask about this because this is really the reason why I started the business in the first place. Yeah. Um, in my in my work out in the field doing workforce development, I did a lot of projects with those segments of the labor market that have trouble connecting to education and work, right? It's just, it's a well-known fact that the system doesn't work for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. um, 70% of the people without a degree never write a resume, never write one. So how do you interact with the labor market if you don't have a resume and that's the only model, you know? Right. Um, everybody in the world, regardless of background, geography, training, has competencies, everybody. We're in an AI economy now. Uh, Mm -hmm. And this is it, right? It's here to stay. So we're either going to include everybody or we're not. Uh, If the future isn't job descriptions and resumes and degrees, it's a data grid of what all humans can do. That's what we hope we're building. And just competencies by their nature level the playing field, right? Because it's something everybody has. The other thing that's important to point out, I think, um, is that we went to great lengths to make sure that the data we use to train Clara represented mm-hmm. everybody. Okay. You know, that's a big debate um, in DE&I and AI circles right now. Training data doesn't reflect everybody. So how do you get the AI to learn what all what everybody should you know look like? Um, we had to build training data yeah. that came from groups like veterans, justice involved, immigrants, parents who'd been out of the workforce for 10 years, we had to build training data sets so that Clara would recognize them as well as the other, you know, the degree folks, uh, the data sets of resumes you can buy online. So we had to do that intentionally. Um, yeah. But it left the playing field. Uh, competencies as a system are a DE&I tool. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's terrific. That's a great answer. I never really thought of it is if you're collecting all data, you're leveling the playing field and and opening opportunities. So I yeah. think that's terrific. Let's let's talk a little bit about the the fundraising. It's yeah. it's ever changing, right? And you're smiling. Oh. No one could see you smiling at the moment, but I mean, uh, talk about that. I know I'm smiling and laughing and crying, right? All at the right. same time. Yeah, fundraising. I you know I basically just had to learn as I went along. I had done some fundraising when I was in the government and nonprofit world, mostly grant, you know, grant right. writing from foundations and whatnot. Uh, so it's certainly a, f- a far cry from raising venture <laughs> capital. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to, part of what I did to make the pivot from public sector to private was do MIT's executive MBA program. I okay. figured, you know, I definitely can't afford this on a nonprofit salary, but if I'm going to jump from public workforce nonprofit to venture-backed AI startup, I need something big. So Part of what MIT did was it built my network really quickly. Um, I also had a network from Michigan and I had been thinking about this for years. So every time I went to a conference or did a project, I started building my network. Even if 
company wasn't up and running, not for years, right? But I knew that someday I was going to need VCs and angels. Yeah. So I just started to talking to as many people as I could and building the network slowly. It probably took two years yeah. to build the network. Um, we, we've done two rounds of fundraising um, and there will be more, hopefully. Uh, the I underestimated the market impact on fundraising, right? right. How so? Well, macro conditions play a really big role in how money is getting deployed and where. Right. So that was one of the things I underestimated a little bit. Of course, pandemic um, was one of those big things. Although the pandemic helped make us a company, you know, I could not have flown all over the country to raise money. My first fundraise, I did 88 meetings on Zoom uh, <laughs> to raise a convertible note pre-seed. So, you know, build the network early. I actually, you know, I'm a storyteller. I like to talk to people. I come from a family of storytellers. Right. I believe in what we're doing in my bones. And so I don't mind fundraising. You also learn something from every meeting with VCs and angels, right? They vet a lot yeah. of deals. So you learn something, uh, you know, and once you get going, they'll introduce you to different VCs and you kind of, it's a small world really raising venture. Yeah. Um, but I had to learn the hard way. Like, I think I had one class at MIT about venture math. And yeah. I threw that PowerPoint a million times because you gotta, you gotta just train yourself how to think the way they think in terms of risk. Right. And numbers have to look like and you just have to learn it's not about you it right it's a statistics game you have to have a solid business but you also just have to do enough meetings and sometimes it's going to work for the fund because of their thesis and sometimes not it's not about you but as you hinted at it's it's like running a marathon i mean yeah not easy now what was a lot of your fundraising out in the midwest michigan and midwest or did you get interest from across the country yeah most of my capital is midwest um so most of the money that's come in has been VC. There is a yep. little bit of angel money, but it's heavily VC. Um, so I have a couple of East Coast investors, but most of the money is all the VCs are in the Midwest. Okay. Um, I'm super proud of that. I got a lot of pressure to move back to Boston, move to San Francisco. And I was like, really? Is that still happening? <laughs> like, thankfully, yeah. during the pandemic, VC started having to look everywhere, right outside their normal geographies which democratized fundraising. Yeah. Yeah. So. so Katie, what served you well as a founder? I mean, you've learned quite a bit along the the route and, and, and you said it before I did, I was going to say you, you're not an introvert and that comes from uh, your family's background. I'm sure too, as far as, uh, as you said, being storytellers and in yeah. sales and whatnot. And truly, if you believe in what you are doing and and you should, um, then it's an easy story to tell. But what what has served you well as a founder? What kind of advice would you give maybe first-time founders that are looking to start start something up? Yeah, yeah. You know. Loaded question. I know it is. It is too. It's a, it's a two-parter. What it advice is a two-parter. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's the same, right? What advice and what served you well? Um, I think... One of my investors uh, told me a couple, uh, you know, a, a couple meetings into fundraising, told me that being genuine was genuine and approachable was one of my superpowers. Yep. Sometimes people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're a friendly Midwesterner. Don't be so nice. But I think I think just being authentic, it, I can't help it. Right. I'm a terrible diplomat. You're going to know what I'm thinking. Um 
But I think that served me well in fundraising. Like sometimes you just got to, you're trying to raise money, right? From investors. Yeah. And you just tell them it's not going well. Like I got this wrong. I say to investors all the time, you know, took this money in and we got a lot of stuff right. And we got a lot of stuff wrong. And here's what we did wrong. And this is what we're doing differently. And you should say in meetings with investors, I don't know the answer to that yet. You know, yeah. that's what I need your help with. I don't know. We, we, we failed at this. Like, Failure is not really a thing, right, in in startup land. But I think being authentic is one of my strengths. And I would encourage other founders to just be real about it. They yeah. know what it's like. A lot of VCs have started and exited companies before. They know it's ugly. If you show up in a meeting and it's all sunshine and rainbows, they're going to be like, what else do I not trust? Yeah, no. yeah they want transparency. They want honesty. Yep. Um, they've got, you know, typically enough background to kind of smell through that, whether, you know, you're being authentic or not. And and you definitely do have that personality of what you see is what you get. And, and that's great because I think that that definitely serves you. And, you know, I know for myself, I, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur per se in, in, in working for MVCA, but, you know, they certainly, they understand. And, and, um, I think a lot, uh, you know, treat MVCA as sort of that startup, and that's a positive thing because then they understand to your point, it's not always going to be uh rosy and happy and, you know, you're going to fall along the way or things are going to happen. And you just kind of, kind of grin and bear it and, and get through it. So that's, that's definitely uh good advice. Katie, as we're wrapping up, let's, let's talk about maybe just sort of taking your background, your experience, uh, the fact that you wanted to stay here in Michigan, which we're grateful for. And yeah, it is a thing that some uh, out-of-state components love to pull entrepreneurs out of state, but you you stayed here. It's important for you. Maybe talk about what, what do you think, it's your opinion, um, that the state in itself should be doing to create more Katie Halls or and to create... Um, that environment for Katie to want to be here to do that work. Yeah, I do. I do feel really strongly about staying in Michigan. And I, you know, I want to work with businesses here. I want them to be my customers. And I want to show everybody that, look, we're, we've, we're figuring it out. You should copy us, right? There's no reason why we can't be a workforce leader. Um, yeah. So yeah, I feel, I feel, and the more people pressure me about it, the stronger I feel right about digging in and staying here. Um, I've heard some people, you know, I talk to people at various events and whatnot, and I've heard a lot about the lack of early stage capital mm. in Michigan. Yep. So I agree with that. I think there are a couple, there are a couple VCs here who love early stage. They're they're true pre-seed and seed stage investors. They understand what it's like at that very early stage. They like to be the first check-in. Right. But that those first like two hundred thousand dollar checks hundred thousand dollars that's when the world either gets to see a business or they don't right so that's incredible it's the most important venture checks that are ever written like someone you can debate me right on growth stage a b prep for ipo and exit and that's great but if we hadn't had some investors step up claire would never have been a company and yeah. what, what difference is that going to make in the world potentially a huge difference so that that decision about who's going to even become a business, you become a business with capital or you never like that's yeah. just 
that's everything. So I, I think we need more early stage. I think we need more active angels or just in Boston, the angel community is very visible mm-hmm. and easy to connect to, especially if you have a connection to one of the schools. Right. In Michigan, not so much. It's harder to find individual angels. There are some angel groups and some early VCs, but early stage capital for sure. There's got to yeah. be more of it and it has to be easier to connect to it. Um, there's more support of diverse founders now, much more um, across the country and definitely in Michigan, especially with a heavy focus on Detroit, which is beautiful. Right. Uh, but we've got to do that deliberately. Right? Absolutely. Like, there are businesses everywhere. One of the other things I would tell founders from your last question is lean into lean into that if you're a minority, right? I mean, people like me get 1.2% of venture dollars, solo female tech founders, 1.2%. So lean into that, make a big deal of it, right? So a focus on diversity. The third thing is what other people always say too, like the ecosystem around startups, you know, Uh, NBCA, Michigan Tech Week, Undemo Day, there's a lot of great stuff happening, Mm -hmm. but you know, Grand Rapids, Traverse City, uh, the east side of the state, connect them all together, make sure we know what resources are available. And some of that's happening, right? And I've tried to utilize it, but a true startup ecosystem um, is really active and easy for people to plug into. Yeah, that's all, all great, all great advice. So as we wrap this up, what's, geez, this is a loaded question again. What's next? I mean, you've got a lot going on. I mean, uh, what, what, what are you looking at next? Yeah. Well, the big exciting thing underway is this uh, new version of the product that's coming out that I mentioned earlier. So, you know, I won't advertise it too much. It's just, we've had a bit of a breakthrough on the machine learning side. Clara is so much more capable and smarter than she used to be. And that's partly driven by the tools that are available, as you mentioned. So it's just going to, Instead of, you know, companies taking four weeks to get rolling on Clara, it'll take two hours soon. Uh, Pick it up and use it right away, right? We want to get in and let companies experiment as quickly as possible. And the new version will allow that. Uh, We'll also have, you know, another fundraise coming up. Um, And we're looking at a couple of key partnerships with larger companies who want to help build it. So that's great, right? Because it's a sustainable way for us to grow and actually listen to the market. So a couple key partnerships, a couple big events coming up this year and the new version of the product. Those are exciting. Cool. Well, you truly are an up and coming company, Katie. So I give you lots of credit, lots of kudos for all the work you're doing and you're smiling throughout, you know, it's sometimes lonely at the top, but you're doing some fantastic things. And for folks that want more information, your website is clara.ai. So C-L-A-I-R-A dot A-I. And they can contact you directly that way and see all the wonderful stuff you're you're doing there. Katie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. It was wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to today's show and hope you enjoyed it. We have other great past programs that I invite you to download and listen to as well. If you'd like more information about Michigan Venture Capital Association, I invite you to visit us online at michiganvca.org. Until next time.